0: So with that said, I want to start us out here on a new sermon series this morning. It's going to be a little bit lighter, right? It's July. I know a lot of people have vacations and such. And so I thought maybe just having a series where, you know, like you didn't have to like uh, build on each one of them or maybe they're a little bit more one-offs might feel a little bit better for summer. So I'm calling it Characters That We Love. And I've invited a couple of guest preachers from the congregation to also be part of that. And so I think that'll be a way for us to get to know some of the other Blue Oceaners. It's also a way for us to talk about a few characters from the Bible that maybe we don't get to go in depth to all the time. And so we'll be hearing from Caroline next week. He's gonna talk about Ruth. Uh, Christian Axelgard, who is right there. He's gonna give a little bit of his story, I think, and talk about Jonah. And then Crystal is going to preach the next week. And about at least speaking truth to power. I don't know who will be a character. But it should be, it should be a good time. Um, today I want to share a little bit lighter story about why I love Barnabas. So if you ask me who I like in the Bible, aside from Jesus, I've always really felt drawn to Barnabas and how um, I've really loved his story and tried to let it sort of shape my own spirituality and it's influenced even the way that we do church here at Blue Ocean. So let me tell you his story. His, his name actually wasn't Barnabas at the beginning, it was Joseph. So a long time ago, there was a Jewish man called Joseph, and he lived on a large, beautiful island in the Mediterranean Sea called Cyprus, right? We probably know it. It's famous for really beautiful beaches and good food. Why would you want to leave Cyprus, right? Well, one day, Joseph encountered a group of people, and they were speaking passionately about this rabbi that they had heard about named Jesus. And so Joseph felt captivated by these teachings that seemed like these teachings had had a pretty profound impact on the lives of the people who were following them. And he felt drawn to it. He was like, oh, this is like a stream of my own Jewish faith um, that resonates. It's anti-Roman empire, like abuse of empirical power. It's anti-violence. seems to be for defending scapegoats and outsiders, and it prioritizes caring for the poor and the outcast." And so Barnabas was like, well, you know, this is a flavor of Judaism that I want to support. So he sold a field that he had owned there in Cyprus, and he donated the money. And then it seems like he went to Jerusalem to go and learn more and to worship with the disciples there, because that was like the epicenter of the early Jesus movement. And so then as the different leaders got to know Barnabas, or Joseph, they gave him the nickname of Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. Presumably because that fit him. And I thought, well, who wouldn't want to be around like a son of encouragement? So while Barnabas was there in Jerusalem, just like worshiping and getting to know um, the stream of Judaism a little bit better, there were like waves of persecution that started to break out against the followers of Jesus. And those waves were being led by a man named Saul, who was sort of a high-ranking religious leader who was going around and he was killing followers of Jesus and he was putting them in jail. In fact, he oversaw the the stoning of somebody who was really beloved in the community. And so if you can bring it down to, like, where we are, like, here in Ann Arbor, like, Jerusalem wasn't that big. Like, we're pretty familiar with at least a lot of the other churches in the area. And a lot of us have connections to people within these faith streams, right? And so you would hear about, like, oh, I know that guy. Oh, my gosh, he was killed. Did you hear about that? And then it says, going from house to house, Saul dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And many, um, yeah, put them in prison. I'm going to pause there for a second. So it's like, you'd be hearing about these different people, like, oh my gosh, did you hear about the Sondas? Sorry, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, they got put in jail. Did you hear about this? Right? Like, so these were like people um, that everyone knew, and it was really terrifying. And so many of the followers of Jesus just started fleeing the city for their lives, Well, not long after that, Saul, he started to head up to Damascus to try and go gather up some of those people who had fled Jerusalem from him and anyone that they may have influenced. And he asked to be able to drag them back to Jerusalem and put them in jail. Well, on his way to do that, we know something strange happened. Many of us know this story, right? He had a vision of the resurrected Jesus, and he heard Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when you have that that moment of realizing that, like, oh my gosh, this thing that I thought I was doing so fervently to please God is actually having the opposite effect. And what I've been doing has actually been causing so much harm and such a mess with this misplaced zealousness. For Saul, like, that just seemed to, like, really crack him open, right? He was, um, I think of him like an uber-fundamentalist who came to realize how his quest for religious purity had just had that opposite effect. So, like, if he was one of those guys at, what's that Baptist church, Jonesboro Baptist or something, you know, who would show up to things with signs, what is it? Westboro. Westboro, oh yeah, Westboro Baptist, you know, which is also small, but I think this was a much larger sort of movement. And suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, this is like how awful this has been. You know, I've personally worked with several pastors over the years, or I've had people who have emailed me um, who have come to see their own life's work as profoundly damaging to people, you know, who have looked back and been like, I've been pastoring for 30 years and I realizing that the advice that I was giving, both for like parents of girls and young women, as well as for queer kids, has been like... Uh, you know, has caused suicidality and depression and anxiety. And they come and they're like really, really broken and they're scared and they're deeply sad and they're humbled. Um, And they come to know, and I would include myself in that to some extent, right? I've had my own changes of minds about different things. It's when you start to really understand God's grace for us in our human mistakes. And I think that then makes them better pastors because there's a humility in realizing that like false certainty And judgments can do a lot of damage for people. And so this is how I see Saul. He was actually like killing people, right? So I think of him more like um, like the ringleaders of the Reconstruction lynching era, right? He, He was profoundly dangerous, and he was violent on like a whole other level that really deeply affected him. And you can see this regret in his writings, and so because of this vision that of Jesus that Saul had, had he completely changed his ways. He changed his name to Paul. He didn't want to be associated with his old self. He made his way to Jerusalem like Barnabas did to go and meet with the, the leaders of the Jesus movement and he wanted to apologize and join from, join them. But they understandably wouldn't meet with him. They just wouldn't even see him. They're like you're too dangerous for us. They thought it was a trap because he had been so dangerous and so conniving and so effective. Yeah. Yeah. But Barnabas. Barnabas went to Saul anyway, and he made space for him to tell his story. And so he took the time to listen to him, and he believed him. And I think this is the first reason why I really love Barnabas. I think he just took the time to listen, and he was open-hearted toward Paul, and he withheld the judgment from him. And then he took him to the other leaders. And I'm sure Paul was still a little rough around the edges with his theology, right? As we all are when we're kind of coming out of that space. But he took him and he advocated for him. And so Barnabas was the reason that Paul was accepted by the leadership as sincere. And then after that, Paul went away for a few years um, to go and to pray and to study. It said that He spent three years in Arabia and then Syria. So I call this like his deconstruction era. Right, he went away to kind of unlearn um, some of the things that had led him to, to the fruit that, um, that it had. And I think there's not really any indication in the story that Paul intended to come back and become like a great leader uh, in the early Jesus movement. It seems like he just went off to live a quieter life out of the limelight to just try and find some peace within himself. But meanwhile, some of the other people who had also fled from him had um, headed out of Jerusalem, he landed in Antioch, which is a city that is now Antakya, Turkey. And Antioch was this sort of cool urban place, right? It hosted the Olympic Games, it was on a major trade route, and so it was pretty diverse and it had a sort of a thriving economy. And so the Jesus followers from Jerusalem who had moved there. They started telling other Jewish people from Antioch about this rabbi. And then they also started telling some of the Greeks or some of the Gentiles, which just means non-Jewish people. So they just started telling everybody that this path had been helpful for them. So news then that the Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus soon got back to those leaders in Jerusalem. And so when they heard that the Gentiles were being preached to it, it probably made them a little bit nervous, because up to that point, it had largely been a Jewish community. And so they sent Barnabas to go and just check things out, right? So he must have been seen to be fairly wise and discerning. And so the text says that when Barnabas arrived in Antioch and worshipped with the believers there, that he saw evidence of the grace of God. And so I imagine what that means is that he walked in this sort of cosmopolitan church, and he saw... Jewish people and Gentiles, and he saw people from different ethnic backgrounds and social backgrounds just worshiping God together and filled with the Spirit, and the evidence of that being love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Thank you, music machine, right? For those of you who knew that one as a kid. And Barnabas took that as a sign of God's grace on that synagogue, and so Barnabas blessed that, and he accelerated what was going on in Antioch. Um, he saw that people were finding community and connection to the creator. And in fact, he got so excited by what he was seeing, he went up and he fetched Paul in Syria. And I thought, well, maybe they had stayed in contact. I mean, he kind of had a soft spot for him. Or maybe Barnabas just thought, gosh, you know, there was that guy and he was like actually really super gifted and he was also super humbled. And maybe I should go get him to come see this and be part of it. And so Paul, or Barnabas went and got Paul and the two of them came down and they worshiped with that community for the next year. And what I relate to with Barnabas here is like his willingness to just say, you know what, whatever's going on here is beyond what any of us leaders expected to happen, but I am just going to be open to having my spirituality widened. All right, This isn't what I expected, but I'm just going to be open to having my spirituality widened. And so while accepting Gentiles into this stream of Judaism isn't the exact same as churches today, say, accepting queer people, it's not apples to apples, I can't help but feel like the situations rhyme a little bit, right? That there are familiar dynamics. And I've thought this for the last 15 years. I remember reading it and being like, whoa, yeah, there's some insight here. So I started to use it as a guide as I was making my own way down this path. So while we were still part of our former denomination, and there were no, you know, sort of um, policies, excluding gay marriages or gay pastors at that time. And I was trying to get them to, like, Keep an open heart to maybe accepting churches that are also affirming so that there would be some level of unity. Ken wrote a whole book about it. I actually wrote a couple of the national board members, and I invited them to come and see. And I said, come be like Barnabas and Paul at Antioch. Come and, like, if you can't come, send a couple of your pastors on your big megachurch staffs to come be with us for a year, right? Withhold judgment. See what the Spirit is doing before you come down with any policies. Of course, nobody responded, (laughs) I I wasn't even out, I don't think, as a queer person there, but I was a woman, right? So nobody's even going to email me back. That dynamic's a different story for a different day. (laughs) But for me, that was like the practical application of Barnabas and Saul's work at Antioch there. It's like, come and see, withhold judgment. When you see something that doesn't fit your worldview, just be open to it. I actually sent the same invitation to my New Testament professor at Fuller Seminary. I'd taken it online, so she didn't exactly know who I was. Um, But a few years after we planted this church, she became the dean and then was overseeing their new policies, kicking out queer students who were contacting me and kicking out, um, firing affirming professors, one of whom had contacted Ken. And so I just wrote to her and said, look, I was your former student. I'm queer. We have a church. I think it's really beautiful. Why don't you, like, we'll find a way to pay for you to come out and just be with us and see. And she also did not respond. (laughs) So... After the year that Paul and Barnabas worshiped at Antioch, the church then sent them out on a journey to go start some new, like, inclusive faith communities. And I don't think either of them went to Antioch expecting to do that, but they felt like that was an important and helpful thing given what they were seeing, right? And so, what I imagine there is, you know, we just looked at, like, the Roman Empire's impact all through Lent, right, on the Jewish communities. And I think that in the Roman Empire, it was probably really hopeful to have communities where you had people of these different backgrounds operating together in community, right? We talked about the extensiveness um, of slavery in the Roman empire, how it was like 30% in some areas. And there were slaves that were worshiping as equals with wealthy people, and this was like really revolutionary. There were Romans worshiping with minority groups. And so something unexpected happened. Pretty soon, so many Gentiles started to come in faith in Jesus that they outnumbered the Jewish believers. That won't happen with queer people. We're only like 4%. <laughs> but, but this was like a major demographic shift, right, that happened very quickly in the early church. And so after Paul and Barnabas, they returned to Antioch from their journey. There were some believers. So they get back to their sort of home base, and, and they find that there's these other leaders who have come up from around Jerusalem. And um, they had come there and they started teaching that in order to be part of the Jesus stream of Judaism that you had to adhere to the markers of being Jewish, even if you weren't Jewish. Right? So that was circumcision and eating kosher and so on. Now they always taught that like, if you're Jewish, like the, like you're still Jewish. But they were trying to make space for people who weren't Jewish to be part of this sort of Jewish community. In Antioch, they had found that some of those things were a pretty big barrier to acceptance in the community for the Gentiles. And you can imagine, especially for the men, if you're not circumcised when you're a baby and you're like coming in at 50, like you don't want to do that. So Paul and Barnabas got into a really big argument with these men. And eventually, Paul and Barnabas and some others went down to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders and sort of discuss it and have it out. It's called the Jerusalem Council. It's in the book of Acts. So Paul and Barnabas reported what was going on there in Antioch and elsewhere. And they were like, look, guys, people are connecting to God. There's evidence of the Holy Spirit And then we're told that on hearing this, the leaders in Jerusalem were encouraged. And this is where I also think, man, I wish people would respond like that, right? We can learn to be like them as well. These demographic shifts can feel scary, but they were like, okay, you know what? This is good. And so the leaders in Jerusalem, including Jesus's brother James, agreed with Paul and Barnabas and Peter, and they've placed very few requirements on that church in Antioch. So Barnabas was, was part of leading a big change process that opened up the faith community to a broader, more diverse group of people whose beliefs were a little bit at odds with some traditionalists. You know, and we know that some of those traditionalists were able to come along, right? and they were able to say, like, okay, we can see God in this. We might keep doing our thing that you do you, and we will bless it. Like, who are we to judge? And to me, that is like, just a beautiful element that is at the core of our faith. I love Barnabas' open heart. I like his adaptability. He seems like he's kind of easygoing. I feel like we would have been really good friends. Um, I like that he brought other people along, right? That he wasn't like, I'm just going to do this on my own and kind of be a big name. He's like, I'm going to go get that guy Paul, and I'm going to go hang out with John Mark. And, you know, Paul was still considered a little bit sus, but he's like, you know, I I can see that guy's heart. You know, he's a little bit scary, but that's all right. (laughs) He also cared for the poor. He was really helpful in raising funds for when there was a famine in Judea. And what I really like, I think, is that he was just always watching for the Spirit outside of his own camp, so to speak, right? He was just always watching to see, like, where is God at work, even if it doesn't look like what I think it should look like? And so that's what I hope that we can emulate in our own faith and in our church, having eyes to see where the Spirit is moving outside of our comfort zones. And that's the kind of faith that I hope that we're shaping. So that's why I love Barnabas. It might be something to like think about this week. I hadn't really thought about that. But like if there's anybody that you really relate to and you want to just like email about it, I would love to hear that as well. All right. So for our meditation, we usually do about a minute of silent meditation or guided meditation. And what I thought I would do for this one is mostly silence. Obviously, you know, people and it's not people and babies, like babies aren't people. Somebody was correcting me on that. Babies and adult people, we make noise, and that's fine. But a little bit of silence. But also, um, I, I want to invite us to maybe meditate a little bit on Ephesians 2. And I'm just going to repeat this for a second, if we can get it as a mantra here. Christ is our peace, who has made us one. Christ is our peace, who has made us one. He has broken down the barriers which divided us. Christ is our peace, who has made us one. He has broken down the barriers which divided us. Christ is our peace, who has made us one. He has broken down the barriers which divided us. We'll just hold that in silence for a moment. Christ is our peace, who has made us one. He has broken down the barriers which divided us. May that be the kind of faith that we cherish, that we nurture, that we're able to pass along. I ask, Spirit, that you would give us hearts that are open and minds that are open, and that we would relinquish the judging to the only one who is actually aptly able to judge our hearts that you would give us eyes to see where your spirit is moving and an openness to it moving in ways and among people for whom we are totally and completely surprised that are outside of our box. And may we be able to move alongside with you in whatever it is that you're doing in those streams. Come Holy Spirit, amen.